0: Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, Rates Strategist, and I'm joined today by our Global Market Specialists, Giles Gale and Jan Labruzzi. Giles, I'm going to start with you. Well, for a couple of reasons, we missed you last week <laughs> and also uh, we've had, got lots to talk about because we recorded last week's podcast uh, before the ECB meeting due to the, the bank holiday. So we need to catch up on what happened last week. And also, I think that, you know, it's been ECB speak over the last couple of days that, that's been driving markets. So let's start there. But first of all, quick recap of um, the ECB meeting last week. We had Gio on uh, before the meeting and he expected it to be a pretty... Uh, I guess, a kind of placeholder event with no real updated guidance. And obviously, we didn't get any new forecasts. Um, was that what happened? Or do you have any kind of updated thoughts on the ECB after the meeting?
1: Well, first things, um, I also missed all of you, to be honest. With you. The, <laughs> feeling, the feeling there was mutual. And I think that Giovanni pretty much nailed it. That It was not the most eventful meeting. And you know, really, I think we, yeah, there's obviously a cacophony in the in the ECB at the moment and that, that, that there was just not enough new information really for anything to, uh, to, to to be settled at this one so what did we learn um, yeah, other than just to say not a great deal um, there was quite a bit of emphasis on um, the potential for uh, you know, some kind of you know, Flexible response around protecting spreads and so on. No, nothing specific about what that might mean. Um, You you could understand that perhaps as a a hint that they uh, are preparing some kind of new sort of quantitative easing, which isn't quantitative easing sort of um, tool to try to protect spreads if need be as they move away from you know this quant- quantitative eating era to a higher rates um, no quantitative eating era i think that that will be sensible <clears throat> but they weren't getting anything away there so so that is is, is it really um yeah and then on to the um Onto the ECB speakers that we've had since. I mean, to be honest with you, those have been a whole lot more colourful. And as you said, Imogen, um, you know, very much driving the market, especially today. You now, I, 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 to, to the extent that I was forced to, to write something, just trying to you know, just this morning trying to bring people back to reality, because um, you know, a couple of the people that we we heard from this morning, you now. And, and there is there there is a sort of build, a sense of something building here because we only seem to be hearing from hawks at the moment, and that's always you know it, it's often something which we remark, and you know, it's not so much that you know, you expect to see people making big shifts, but when you you know when you have one side of the debate more silent, then you know that uh, says something about who feels that they have the upper hand when it comes to um, you know, the mood in, in in the room, and you know, maybe. We might even go as far as to say that a quiet hawk is somebody who's reconsidering their position and that doesn't want to make a U-turn too quickly because that would be indecent, right? So I think that that's the sort of mindset the market's in just at the moment. Um, We heard from the the Belgian central bank governor who has been um, really pretty hawkish over the last few months anyway. you know, he was ramping that up a little bit, talking about the possibility of positive policy rates this year, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, you know, which, to be honest with you, is pretty much where the market is anyway. So, you know, really just uh, you know, validating market. We also heard from the um, the vice <coughs> the uh, the vice president of the ECB, um, de Guindos, who. To be honest with you, I would never argue as somebody we should be paying all that much attention to because he's a bit of a follower I think when it comes to um, monetary policy, he has other talents, I dare say, but um, leading the way in uh, in monetary policy thinking isn't necessarily one of them. Where does that all leave us? Same as before, um, just at higher rates to be honest with you. I mean, we now have 75 basis points priced in for this year and then about 125 basis points for for next year so you know that essentially means that we're looking at a july hike probably september december that's the only way you really get there there's a october meeting as well so you know, maybe there's some interplay there and then you know, at some point next year we're either talking about 50 years or we're talking about back-to-back um, meetings and you not know, that for next year i i wouldn't say that that's impossible um i never would have done but it does sound quite aggressive at the moment so um so yeah i think uh it's all built up as much as it can do for the moment
0: <laughs> so we've talked a lot on this podcast um and in our notes for any of our listeners that read them that both on the uk side and the european side we think that you know markets are pricing in too much really when it comes to Uh, central bank reaction functions like you say on on the european side the market's now got 75 basis points basically priced in by the end of the year Um, and we only have probably a first hike in q4 we think so we think there's probably about 50 basis points there of of rate hikes in the very near term that can be priced out but how does the market you know at, at when does the market start to price those out? Because this is something we've been saying for a while and, and the market seems to be <laughs> shifting really in, in the other direction. So what what are you looking out for in terms of thinking that this will kind of change the market's mind on, on when the ECB might go?
1: Listen, um, I think that one of the things that was reasonably interesting last week, uh, you know, we had the survey of professional forecasters, which the first time... Uh, actually I should check this Uh, maybe uh, certainly in a long time the long-term inflation uh, for uh, sort of expectation of of that community uh, is slightly above two percent so you know that's one of the things that I think that maybe worries the the ECB a little bit Uh, we've also had you know sort of medium short-term inflation expectations in the market so things like you know two year two year inflation swaps rally by 100 basis points in, two, in, in the last two months are now sitting at about 2.7 percent I mean that's not going to reassure the, the ECB either so you know I think that there is building pressure on the expectation side <clears throat> but really what it comes down to I think is um is, is wages um, and we've been consistent on that and we don't think that we're gonna get the evidence on European wages until after the summer. So that is clearly, a, you know, in fact, that's probably the strongest reason, uh, not why not to be talking about uh, July rate hikes. Um, <clears throat> the, the other one just being the uncertainty about um, you know, how markets will, will sort of settle as quantitative easing stops and you know, if you raise rates in, in July and then go away on holiday, you're not there to sort of you know, try to manage the market through communication and so on and so on, which is you know, traditionally being the ECB style and less so this ECB, I would say, but nonetheless, I think that's a consideration. Um, you know, I think that the... Probability of earlier hikes definitely increasing. I mean, compared to that expectation that you just described, Imogen, of um, which is our you know, still our base case of a, of a December rate hike. I mean, I think that September and December, or you know, something like that, is definitely increasing in probability. But three hikes this year, I think, is okay. certainly still very aggressive. What the market seems to be looking for is this kind of Fed-style Damascene conversion to just you know, full. Acceptance that inflation is not going away on its own. You know, no, there's no. Good, it's no use just hoping for it. You actually have to, you know, act. And you know, as I said, you know, I mean, they're probably looking. I think for you know, more evidence on the activity side and how the war will affect, um, uh, will affect business expectations and so on. You know, will economic momentum and demand maintain this sort of reasonable momentum or or not and therefore how much they have to try to restrain that in in, in 2023 and beyond and you know what evidence there is of um, more substantial second round effects and that we think is a second half story
0: Moving away from the ECB just to finish up on the the discussion on the European side then, because um, the other theme that I would say has been dominating our discussions over the past, well, two or three weeks has been around French elections um we obviously gave a short update on that last week but since then we've had the uh debate last night between Macron and Le Pen um which was kind of pitched as as the key event to watch between the first and the second rounds obviously alongside the polls um what's your take I guess on the kind of main con- or main takeaways from that debate and, and how that leaves you um looking forward to the second round vote on Sunday then?
1: So I, I think both candidates actually did reasonably well. Um, I think that um, Macron you know, was, as expected, you know, more solid on the hard stuff of you know, policy, numbers, all that kind of thing. Um, but you know, I think that anyone who was uh, who, who was Le- who would consider themselves a Le Pen supporter. Um, they probably didn't see anything that turns them off, and you know, or turns them into an abstainer, or just you know, fills them with apathy. Um, <clears throat> I think that you know, those who view Macron as um, you know, just unbearably uh, haughty and you know, <laughs> and superior, and so on, probably, you know, comes away with. Their convictions, they're <laughs> equally um, equally profound. Um, no, I th- so so I think that the the main thing to say is I don't I don't think that there was anything in it. It was it was actually a little bit dry. Um, so I, I, I think it's not likely to really bring out um, you know, enthusiasm where it was lacking in the one third of the French electorate that is you know, a likely abstainer. Um, I don't think it really shifts the needle that much um, even on, well, I mean, there, there, there was one poll at least uh, of Mélenchon voters who sounded like they um, they saw Macron as, um, as, as as the winner in this debate. And so that, so, so that, I suppose, is important. But broadly speaking, I think, that you know, the, the it, it was really for Le Pen to do, do the running to you know, maybe you know, be a little, a little bit bolder than, than she was. She, she was actually less sort of folksy and populist and sort of that you know, and, and, and more you know, trying to defend her and, and, and less on the attack actually as well and, to, and more trying to defend and, and explain her, her own uh, manifesto which to be honest with you, you know, I think in these kinds of things particularly you know sitting in her seat that's probably not um you know, where you're going to win hearts and minds and you know, so i think that when you've got a nearly 10 percent um spread to close that you need to do more and so uh, i don't think she's done that
0: okay that makes sense and then i guess fits with the kind of market reaction that that we've seen well since then and also so anyway, over the last couple of days with, with the polls that have kind of been um, cementing Macron's lead.
1: OK, so um, I'm going to turn this back on you now. <laughs> I want to talk about the, the, the UK because, I mean, we've had we've had a very volatile week. I, mean, I was away last week. I mean, just seeing the daily the daily moves was uh, was really quite an eye opener. And I mean, that's continued into this week. Um, but, you know, there's been a fair amount of direction, and the UK has fully part- part- participated. We're now actually very close to the target that you set, what was it, three weeks ago? for, for yeah. 10 years? <laughs> Um Now, how much further do you think that, you know, that the market can, can realistically move?
0: Yeah I mean I think this week's been a tricky one because like you say it's it's been volatile but the direction has generally been upwards fairly significantly but on not much in the way of data and and central bank speak you know well we're recording this on Thursday uh, where we do have uh Bailey and Mann speaking and then also so it's also this evening we get uh uh, Powell and the Guard, which we'll go on to talk about, Jan. So there is some central bank speak today. But but other than that, for the UK, really, there hasn't been much data or or much to really guide markets. So it's more like the UK has just been participating in this kind of global shift higher in yields. And as you say, we've now got close, although haven't quite touched, but got very close to it on Tuesday, uh, 2% target in 10-year guilds. Um, but I would say that I guess that target Um, was partly predicated on a kind of domestic factor fair value model, which we've talked about in this podcast before, which came out with a fair value below 2%. But we were happy to, um, you know, suggest that yields could go even higher than that, given this kind of unrelenting global shift that that we've seen in in fixed income. But even there, I think there's scope for yields to, you know, even if it's only temporary, go beyond this 2%, just until, you know, front ends really price out this um, kind of very hawkish bank rate pricing that that they currently have you know we had 1.75 as fair value but that was on our bank rate forecast of just an additional two um, 25 basis point hikes this year whereas if you look at market pricing they pretty much have one at every meeting 125 basis point hike at every meeting for the rest of this year so we're significantly more dovish than, than what the market is telling you. And it's really front ends that have been leading the way mostly. And so I think until we get that front end repricing that we've been expecting, um, you can expect longer end yields to, to drift higher as well. I guess to put that, you know, to put some numbers onto that, if we put into our model um, uh, you know, actual bank rate pricing in the market versus what we're expecting for bank rate over the next kind of 12 months, um, you get a yield target of 220 in guilds, um versus what we'd kind of said is 2% that that we think is reasonable. And so roughly every 25 basis point hike that you get priced into the front end adds about half that, about 12 basis points onto 10 year yields. Um, and until we, you know, meaningfully reprice at the front end, I think that guilt yields further out can can continue to to rise upwards perhaps not with the kind of speed and volatility that we've seen over the last couple of weeks but um i think there's probably still some momentum there
1: um okay so risk is still on the upside i mean that, that that's also very much the way that we're thinking about european rates as well um okay so the other big thing on the horizon in the uk i suppose is um this linker syndication Mm. next week oodles of duration coming in from that um i'd like to hear how you think the market's going to take that
0: yeah it's quite interesting because (coughs) i guess duration you know in terms of looking at the whole year it's going to be quite front-loaded this quarter we've got two syndications uh both of which we expect to be at the very long end of the curve so you know we always think of syndications as being a kind of big duration event but even bigger if they're coming at at the very long and we know obviously that we have this linker um, Linker 73s coming up next week um, but we also expect that the second syndication this quarter will be um, the nominal 73s and, and that was pretty much uh, consensus I think if you look at the minutes from uh, the DMO consultation a couple of weeks ago. So, um, you know, very front loaded duration, and, and there'll be a lot for the market to absorb. But I think that actually, given, um, I guess, the dry spell that we've had set in the UK, in terms of the lack of duration that's been issued since pretty much the end of last year, you know, there really hasn't been much link issuance or linker issuance at all. Um, plus the fact that this year as a whole, the kind of total billions amount of linkers that, that we're going to get is pretty low, largely well by virtue of the fact that gilt supply is, is lower than expected. But that means that, you know, in billions, the, the amount of linker supply we're going to get is the lowest that it's been for some time plus the fact that we've had kind of rising real yields um you know high funding ratios if you look at uh, you know even a very long term history funding ratios are, are relatively high and both of those kind of add up to de-risking demand for for long-end linkers so although it is set to be quite a uh, a kind of heavy quarter I suppose in terms of um, duration being front-loaded I think that actually um, next week's supply event could be taken down pretty well and we're already starting to see you know just today we're starting to see kind of strong demand for that kind of part of the curve Um, it's the long end that's been leading the flattening in terms of linkers and also then um, in the nominal space as well so um, I think that the market should be able to take this down quite well.
1: Okay, thank you very much, Imogen. Um, shall we, I guess we move on to, to to Jan, who's been sitting here very patiently to talk about the US.
0: <laughs> yes, last but not least, Jan. Um, I guess I mentioned it before, um, but uh, perhaps you you've got the short straw this week again like Gia had last week. I'm just quickly thinking about what we might get from Powell later on this afternoon. Um, it's been a very quiet day to week this week. It's been a shortened holiday week in Europe and the UK so there hasn't been a huge amount going on with, apart from you know very volatile markets but, but not much actually driving that specifically. So I think everyone's kind of been watching and waiting for um, this panel of, of Powell and the Guard later on this afternoon. What are you really expecting? Markets are almost fully priced for or fully priced for a 50 basis point hike in may largely expecting an announcement of qt following you know the meeting and the minutes over the last couple of weeks is there anything he can do to kind of surprise markets in either direction or will he just really reiterate what we've already heard
2: i think it's going to be tough for him to go out there and surprise the markets and i wouldn't think that will be his intention as well uh pretty much markets are primed for 50 basis point hike at the next meeting and announcement of qt uh, there have been multiple articles in like uh, news outlets which basically kind of like soft confirm it as well and as you'll remember before the march meeting powell used a similar opportunity in front of congress uh where he basically locked in a 25 25 basis point hike he more or less confirmed that the fed's going to lift off in march solidified expectations and this also today's uh Today's panel at the IMF with Lagarde comes right before they enter their blackout period tomorrow. After tomorrow, uh, which means we're not going to get any more Fed officials commenting. So so far, what, what we have seen is Fed president, local presidents, and board members. They'll co- come out. Even the more dovish ones are saying that there's a strong case to be made for a 50 basis point hike. It's complete consensus amongst the amongst the FOMC, and it it it, it just would surprise me greatly to see anything uh, besides those lines. I, I don't think we're going to get anything along the lines of hints at 75, uh, like St. Louis and Bullard uh, suggested. I don't think he's going to walk back to 50 either. Uh, and they were going to, to stick to this credible messaging method that they've used so far. And he's going to go out there and confirm what we already know. So uh, with that in mind, it just feels – it's going to be hard to out-hawk what the market has priced in. Like you said, market expects it. I think Powell's going to deliver.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I guess we've already had, you know, quite a big shift in terms of Fed rhetoric and, and how the market is pricing that in over the last couple of weeks. So to go even more hawkish than that would would be a stretch. Um, I guess then, you know, how does this, what does this all mean kind of further out the curve for your rates for you? Because when we spoke last week, you know, we noted that you'd gone neutral for the first time in a long time on U.S. Treasuries and you were just waiting for, you know, this sell-off to go far enough that you thought that actually then Treasuries would be a buy. We've had a fairly significant move even since we recorded last week uh, and now you have published um, your recommendation for, for going long 10-year Treasuries. So can you just kind of talk our listeners through that and, and you know, I guess how much you see the upside in that trade and, and when you might be looking to add as well?
2: Yeah. Um, so we wrote a note, like you said, about going along the 10-year point of the curve. And uh, let me start with why the 10-year, because originally the our focus was more so concentrated on the five-year, like the belly of the curve. But we just got this uh, interesting bear steepening, which is pretty late uh, uh, all to see at this point in the cycle, particularly since we didn't have any data to refute uh, that you know the economy is kind of like lifting up, even though the Fed has tightened forward expectations. Uh, so with that in mind, it felt like a lot of that move was driven by unwinding of existing fairly consensus, I would say, like flattener positions, and that comes amidst a uh, low liquidity in markets. So it really uh, drove the 10-year part of the curve into attractive levels in our mind. And with that in mind, we we recommend going long. That doesn't mean that we don't see the Fed's going to be hawkish. We do think they're going to maintain this stance of hawkishness. But once the market reaches a point of pricing to perfection in our mind, what we should expect, at least in the next Uh, well, next couple of weeks to next couple of months. So this is more so like a tactical trade. It's not our complete long-term view that the Fed's going to make a U-turn or anything like that. But it's just the idea that pricing is right. The narrative hasn't changed, but the pricing has caught up to it. And with that in mind, something has to give and we think it's going to be uh, the 10-year part of the curve. Particularly if you have a lot more kind of like commentary that that underlines that the Fed has to go more aggressive, the Fed has to tighten more. Well, I mean, at some point, that is a bid for fixed income past the front end, because the more the Fed tightens the kind of like the the tabs, the higher the chances for a hard landing, which is flatter curves and lower longer yields.
0: All right. That makes sense. So even though it's tactical, I would say that it's probably the first time you've been bullish rates for a.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, it, and it's kind of tough. That's why we suggested uh, starting off with something like a 50% risk allocation. Then if if say like yields snap up to above the 3% mark in 10 years, then we would be looking to add more because we acknowledge that this move in rates has been pretty trendy and volatility is extremely high. So you could, the position would be hard on to, or a lot of positions have been hard to hold on to, even if the fundamental view hasn't changed. They just tend tend to be kind of like painful moves in either direction, which can put you off sides, especially if you have tight risk limits. So I would suggest kind of scaling into these longs as opposed to going like a full full conviction uh, buy and forget
0: Yeah. Yeah. We've been talking a lot here about how volatile markets have been and well, how unrelentlessly volatile it it feels. All right, then. Thank you both for joining me today. I think that's probably all we have time for. Um, And thank you to our listeners. Just a reminder that if you liked today's episode, please don't forget to hit the like button and subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks. See you next week.